This is the World Warrior Low Key. Hey, this is Rotor Animal. This is Christopher Daniels. Hi, gang. This is Mean Gene Okerlund from the WWE. Hey, yo. Say hello to the bad guy, Scott Hall. Big Daddy Cool Diesel slash Kevin Nash. Hey, this is Olympic gold medalist Kurt Angle from TNA. Hi, uh, this is Booker T, the five-time WCW champion. And you're listening to SNS Radio Network. Standing ovation here. Let's go to our ring announcer. Welcome to the show that brings you all things nostalgia in the world of professional wrestling. It is now time to go beyond the bell. We're not afraid of Ricky Steamboat. We're the wrestling. Just tell us his name we so we can prepare for it. We weren't prepared for this. This will never get out of the record book. It'll never stand for sheer luck. Do you understand something? I'm a multi-millionaire. I just doesn't happen! Get in there! We don't walk out here! Our days are planned! They're scheduled! They're detailed! If I'm to wrestle Rick Steamboat, if he's to wrestle Steamboat, we know him on an event! Or it's just you shut up! We're a unit. The four horsemen are not four individuals. Anytime you see the four horsemen together, it's something special. We are the studs in professional wrestling. Welcome back, old school fans, to Beyond the Bell on the SNS Radio Network, your home for all things retro in wrestling. I'm your host, ring announcer Sean Beckerman, back with you to relive the greats of sports entertainment. Tonight, we open up the Horseman Files in celebration of their induction in the 2012 WWE Hall of Fame, we kicked off the Horseman Files. An in-depth look by year in chronological order at the history of arguably the most illustrious group in professional wrestling history, the Four Horsemen. Tonight we focus in on the year 1989, coming out of their highly highly successful set of matches at Starcade at the end of 1988. The Horsemen had reclaimed their status as the elite force in the National Wrestling Alliance. 
Barry Windham had soundly defeated Bam Bam Bigelow in singles action, which indirectly led to Bigelow's jumping ship soon after to the World Wrestling Federation. Ric Flair had knocked off the challenge of the total package Lex Luger in as clean a fashion as we're likely to get from the Nature Boy. And the number one threat since day one, the American Dream Dusty Rhodes had left the promotion for greener pastures of the WWF as well. In 1989, the Horsemen faced a new challenge with many of their toughest opponents long gone. Who was left to defend against? The problem would solve itself in the early weeks of the year as the youth of the NWA jumped at the opportunity before them. Enter Eddie Gilbert. Hot stuff, Eddie Gilbert. Much like CM Punk or Daniel Bryan were early on in their WWE careers, Eddie was often overlooked in the NWA title hunt of the late 80s. Labeled a mid-carter for life, nothing special was ever expected of Gilbert, which only served to further motivate him. The horseman scoffed at the series of challenges he extended to Barry Windham for the U.S. title, and expecting an easy defense accepted without any hesitation. Their initial encounter was far from the cakewalk Windham had expected, as Gilbert outclassed and embarrassed the mighty horseman from bell to bell. The U.S. champ even found himself relying on outside interference to save him, with J.J. Dillon's meddlings ending this one in a disqualification. Enraged, Gilbert confronted Wyndham, Flair, and Dillon in an interview segment the next week. He called the three cowards, he called them out and demanded a rematch for the title. This is to which the Horseman responded with a three-on-one beating, of course, Horseman style. Gilbert was not deterred by the assault and was soon granted the title shot he demanded. Again, the challenger dominated. He dominated the champion, and Wyndham found himself backpedaling. He looked to Flair for the save and DQ this time, challenging Flair himself to a match, which also ended in a disqualification. Before a memorable late January interview set the tone for the year to come. With the threat of another beating hung over his head, Gilbert stood with his head held high and challenged Flair and Wyndham to meet him in a tag match, along with a mystery partner of his own choosing. Dylan laughed it off and signed the match immediately. This was a no-brainer for the horseman. His men smiled from the back. With such a depleted roster, depleted it was, the two could not imagine a mystery partner worth the time of day. In the days leading up to the match, the possibilities became more and more endless. Who, who could it be? Would Rick Steiner return alongside the man he'd been aligned with for many of the past months? Would the Eve reveal another challenge from Lex Luger? What about Sting? The two hadn't seen eye to eye since their meeting in a six-man tag at Starcade 87. Could the threat of the horsemen unite even these bitter enemies? The night of the match was upon us, and Flair and Wyndham stood in the ring. Amused by their new supposed challenge, 
The fog machine started up, the music kicked in, and the lights came to life. From behind the curtains, out stepped Eddie Gilbert, alongside his partner, Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. Steamboat had returned to the NWA. Flair was no longer amused. His history with Steamboat was already the stuff of legends, well documented here on Beyond the Bell. And the last thing the Nature Boy wanted at this stage was a serious contender to his coveted World Heavyweight Championship. The Dragon pinned Flair for his first world title back in 1978, ten years prior. Flair had never forgiven him since. While the hatred between the two shared for one another was obvious, it was amplified by their mutual respect, earned from years upon years upon years, thousands of matches of combat. Both illegal men in the ring! Flair goes to the ride! Flying shoulder block by the dragon! Flair in that tag team match after a half hour's worth of solid action, and suddenly the NWA did not seem quite as empty anymore. Following their loss in the tag match, Flair turned his anger on J.J. Dillon. He had officially signed the match for the two, of course, so Flair was hot at the managerial head of the horseman. Without his anchor, Tully Blanchard, Dylan feared another wrong move could cost him his precious association with the horseman. He went on a personal quest to win back their favor. He gave Flair the night off and signed himself alongside Barry Windham in a tag team bull rope match against Gilbert and an unnamed member of the Texas Broncos, which comprised of Dustin Rhodes and Kendall Windham. It turned out to be Wyndham and Dylan against Gilbert and Wyndham. If you couldn't see this one coming, the match hadn't officially started, but Kendall had already turned on Gilbert together, the three bloodied hot stuff with the bull rope and attacked and attacked him with the attached cowbell. Flair, though, remained unconvinced, and instead of inducting a second Wyndham brother into the horseman, 
he officially fired J.J. Dillon from the group. He fired the legendary manager of the Horsemen, J.J. Dillon. Dillon wasted no time in making the big jump to the World Wrestling Federation, where he worked with talent relations behind the scenes. Say what, gentlemen, in the I've been on the Superstation, the most exciting moment I've ever witnessed, and I know fans all across the country feel the same way. Tony Schiavone, all the people, do you remember the movie, The Man Who Shot Liberty Valance? Well, I got the man who beat the NWA World Heavyweight Champion on television. Welcome back to NWA, Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. Probably the longest campaign of my wrestling career. I've always had a quest in my life, and that it was to be a world champion. I ventured all around the world, even with other different federations. Right. But I came back to my home, right here. Let's roll that film. Yeah, let's take a look at it, Ricky. Once again, fans across the country, I know you want to see this moment once again. And here it is, Ricky. Eddie, right now, the horsemen really know how to punish a man, as you know. That's okay, but they got the man that just beat on and beat on all that time. It gave Ricky time enough to stand over there and figure out what for him to do if he got in the ring with either Barry or Ric Flair. You know, I've got to give credit where credit's due. This man, Eddie Gilbert, took an unbelievable amount of punishment. Right here, using his common sense. When you see a man 270 pounds, 12 feet up in the air, what are you going to do? You're going to move. And you're going to move with last ounce of breath in your body. They made a tag with a fresh man, but Eddie was there for me, and here we go again. Rick Flair and myself, just like it was five years ago. One more time, and brother, I'm telling you, Rick, it feels so good. You know, Ricky, I think so a tribute to you, you knew exactly what you were doing each and every move and right here when you got the tag in. Well, I'll tell you something right now. It's, it's, uh, I've had some time off. I've had a little boy come into my life. He's been, been, the, been the thing of, of uh, the last past year. But right now, he is that son of mine. One of the major reasons why I came back to the NWA, I want to secure his future, and to do that, I've got to win the World Heavyweight Championship. I've got to do that. There's no greater motivation than that right there, and I think all the fans can understand that. Right here, you really asserted yourself, Ricky. You knew exactly what you were doing against a man that's considered the greatest champion of all time. Hey, I'm breaking some rules right there. I grabbed a handful of hair. Hey, but I've been watching these two guys do it for the last 12 years. And I think what goes around comes around, and it's a vicious cycle out there. That world is a vicious cycle. I'm going up there right now with one thing in mind, and that is to pin the world heavyweight champion right now. And I'm going to pin this man. Right there. Grab that leg, hold on tight, and the referee counts three. What a dynamic move from Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. And the fans were just in shock. As, as we said, the greatest heavyweight champion of all time. Pinned right here on national television. Once again, I'd like to thank the fans, the NWA fans, for the years of support that they still gave me when I was away from you guys. Can it's I like coming home. It's like that. Here okay, Eddie, go ahead. I could have went out, and there's a lot of men that came up to me to be my partner when I was against Ric Flair and Barry Windham. There's a lot of people out there in wrestling I could have picked. But there's only one man in my mind that can beat Ric Flair, and that's Ricky Steamboat. And I'm very proud to have you a partner today. Thank you very much, Ricky. Well, I'll tell you something. I, the fans, I know, are going to be talking. This, perhaps, fans, we know with the, the Super Bowl on the horizon, this is the biggest sports news that we have been a part of. Now, wait just uh, a minute. Wait. What is this? You got no business here. None whatsoever. What do you think you're doing? This is America. This is an equal opportunity country. I've made my negotiations with Crockett and Ted Turner, and I'm here, and I'm here. Rick, what do you call that negotiation? This will never go down in the record book. I've been listening to you talk 
for the last 10 years of how great every single one of your men are, and Mr. X shouldn't even have bothered you. Come on. if we entered 1989 already, the horsemen seemed even more depleted. Almost immediately, Flair and Wyndham introduced their new manager to counter this major, major move. Hiro Matsuda, who led a large, powerful Japanese organization named the Yamazuki Corporation. You may have heard of it. Matsuda stuck out from the group like a sore thumb where Flair and Wyndham were outspoken, homegrown boys that settled things through complex strategies and gang beatings. Hero was a quiet weasel of a man that seemed to cling to Flair and Wyndham rather than lead them. While the management of the group crumbled, Flair began making bold decisions himself. He signed a world title match with Ricky the Dragon Steamboat for a pay-per-view in February and a U.S. title match for Barry against the defector, Lex Luger. Matsuda introduced the threesome to Butch Reed, a decent enough worker that slid right into the vacant enforcer role emptied by A Arn Anderson. His proving grounds would come at the eventual pay-per-view against Sting, who never seemed to go away. In the days before the big card, Flair and Steamboat began jabbing at each other through their interview segments with it all coming to a head in a heated verbal exchange at the televised Clash of the Champions only days before the pay-per-view event. Flair and Steamboat became absorbed with their feud, even more and more absorbed, and the lack of attention was having a negative effect on the horsemen. They were headed for a big fall if just one match went down the wrong way at the coming event. Sting and Reed opened the card up in less than desirable fashion for the Elite Stable, while the Stinger was riding a huge wave of popularity both behind the curtains and in the crowd. Reed wasn't. Sting dominated the match and eventually pinned the hopeful with a sunset flip from the apron back inside. So it goes. Barry Windham started his match in a completely different manner. He took command early on and basically 
having his way with Luger throughout the early goings. Luger delivered a power move where he could, and both men were down relatively early on. Wyndham sent Luger outside and continued the process of wearing his former comrade down. He sent him into the ring post. Wyndham propped his opponent against the post and went for a solid jab to the face, but Luger got out of the way, and Barry's hand hit the solid steel. Hit the solid steel. As the wound began to bleed, the two climbed back into the ring, but the momentum had changed when Wyndham could not continue his punishment. Luger's recovery was a quick one for the total package. The injury was clearly having its effects on the champion, but you could not blame him for trying. He went up top for a superplex, but could not support Luger's weight with his crumpled right hand. A claw hold was useless without the appendage. In desperation, Wyndham hit a side suplex and then bridged it into a pinning combination. With both men's shoulders on the mat, the ref went down for the count and watched Luger's shoulders rise just before the three count was registered. When it was explained to Wyndham, his temper exploded. He pounded away at his opponent. He eventually left the ring with some prodding, but not before hitting a pile driver on the belt. A pile driver on the championship belt. It was actually one of Luger's best matches, and the swan song for the worker that was Barry Windham. theme from 2001 A Space Odyssey rang through the arena. The Nature Boy's theme, Flair's face was surprisingly unconcerned. The cocky Nature Boy. Though his cohorts had gone through hell in matches prior, the Nature Boy's concentration was on Steamboat and Steamboat only. In a match that's gone down in history, Flair and Steamboat carried each other to the brink of of insanity. If you'd never been lucky enough to, to take one of these in or witness it, I'd urge you to enjoy. Sit down, go on YouTube, pop in a DVD, and take an opportunity to do so. Truly priceless work between the two. It's pure history, and no amount of words can do it honor. Flair fell into his role as the rule breaker while Steamboat played the crowd as the favorite. Speaking personally, and others would agree, you could say, that Steamboat was just as good as Flair in the ring. Some would say maybe Flair or Steamboat was a bit more talented than Flair. That natural ability. But in terms of personality and entertainment value, Flair's got it hands down. It was far better, or it was far the better all-around performer. Apart, both men were superb at this time, but together, well, they tore the house down. Steamboat fought through an early figure four before building some offense of his own. A wild cross body block sent the ref sailing. It gave Flair the opportunity he needed. Within moments, Flair had tossed Steamboat over the top rope, which would have netted him a DQ at the stage in NWA history, according to the rule books. 
and began to celebrate, of course. What the nature boy did not notice, however, was Steamboat's recovery. The dragon had, he hadn't gone all the way to the floor, after all, and had climbed his way to the top rope. Typical Steamboat. Or should we say vintage Steamboat. Flair turned in time to see Ricky taking flight as a new ref climbed into the ring. Rick sidestepped the danger and immediately applied the figure four once again, but Steamboat was waiting for it and reversed the finisher into a schoolboy roll-up. Referee Teddy Long counted to three, and Steamboat walked away with the World Heavyweight Championship. Flair up top, Steamboat trying to knock him off the ropes. With all he's got. And this was the mistake that perhaps Flair made up on top. Oh, gosh. My gosh, that was a ten-foot slam off the top rope. Flair body slammed off the top rope, once again punishing his back. And the now, double arm chicken wing, the double arm chicken wing, he's got it. He, he fell back. He can't hold him. He's got Flair. He's got, got, well, he's got Steamboat. Did Steam Flair had Steamboat's shoulders to the mat. Or did, did Steamboat is one. Steamboat had Flair's shoulders to the mat. As superb as this clash was, they managed to top it before the year would close. This had been the worst night of the Horsemen's long legacy, and things were about to get even worse. In the footsteps of J.J. Dillon, new manager Matsuda had failed under pressure, and also like Dillon, he tried to make it up to his employers by introducing a new prospect within the next few weeks. A televised tag match was aired, featuring the team of Lex Luger and Michael P.S. Hayes against the Wyndham's Barry and Kendall. Kendall had never been accepted as a full-fledged horseman, which was an oversight Matsuda hoped to correct. When Luger opened the match by destroying both Texans, it would appear Hero's plan had backfired. The moment the package looked for a tag, though, he's proved we'd all been played for fools. The former Freebird turned on the United States champion, and after the three had thoroughly trounced the odd man out, he grabbed a mic. With Matsuda welcoming him to the corporation, Hayes told all, me, Flair, and the Wyndhams, we rule wrestling. Was this now the unofficial new four horsemen? Unfortunately, the plan was doomed from the start, and Barry Wyndham had left the promotion for the World Wrestling Federation only weeks later. When the issue was pressed, Flair told Matsuda it was over and asked to be left alone. He enraged in a series of bloody, spectacular rematches with Steamboat, and his thirst for the world title was stronger than his love for the horsemen. Without Rick, the stable would certainly fail. The crowds knew it. Flair knew it. Bookers knew it. Management knew it. Flair tagged with Hayes on a couple occasions, but he meant what he said for the first time since 1985. The NWA was without the Four Horsemen. Hayes was forced to finish what he'd started with Luger alone, and Matsuda was not really heard from again. Well, before he really departed, he took the time to introduce us to a young star before fleeing the public eye. 
and in the months after his departure, the great Muta would have a greater effect than any could have predicted. Later today, Ric Flair will be going, as many people say, for the final time for the world heavyweight title. For a man who's won it five times, Rick, how does this extra pressure affect you? Well, what it tells me, Lance Russell, is today, woo, I've got the style and profile like never before. Steamboat, let me go on record as telling the whole world you are the greatest wrestler on the face of this earth. But pal, today, right here, you gotta beat Ric Flair one more time. Remember Steamboat? And pal, I'll kiss your boots if you can do it. But to be the man, you gotta beat the man. And I'm saying, woo, right here in Nashville, Tennessee, pal, I'm the man. Ric Flair and Steamboat, you're going to be mine! Woo! Let's go right down to the ring. The additional concentration gave Ric the edge he needed in the final rematch with Steamboat. And after a classic, classic match, Flair pulled out a schoolboy for the necessary three count. Some say no one even touched this match for over a decade since it took place. It was that good. As fans cheered, Terry Funk climbed between the ropes. The retired, future, or should we say the retired at the time, future hardcore legend had been acting as a sanctioned judge for the rematch and was taking the opportunity to congratulate Flair on a job well done. While raising the hand of the new champion in celebration, Funk nonchalantly threw out a challenge for the world title and Flair gave him the cold shoulder. Terry seemed to take the dismissal quite well, you could say, or well enough, but when the new champ turned his back to enjoy the the applause, Funk jumped him. The fresh competitor simply destroyed the nature boy, adding an exclamation point with a brutal pile driver onto a ringside table. Some say that this was the beginning of hardcore in professional wrestling. Funk delivered it hardcore style, and the table... It was really a table and not a pre-cut one that we typically see today. It did not budge. Flair's head hit the structure legitimately, and the whole thing came off extremely well. Flair was so close to death at that point. Very, very hardcore and dangerous spot. As Jim Ross exclaimed, Funk told us he'd just taken our champion out of the mix, and he was right. Not in character for Ric Flair... But Rick Steamboat is the greatest champion I've ever faced. And I'm proud to be here for a sixth time. Uh, hey, hey, Rick. I want to be the first to congratulate you on being the new world's champion. Terry, thank you very much. We do appreciate the judges being here. Hey, Rick. I also want to say that if it would have gone 60 minutes, that I would have liked to have, uh, I would have voted for Rick Flair because I think that you're the greatest wrestler in the world today. Very nice. Thank you very much, Terry. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, Terry. You know, champ, it went past 35, 40 minutes. It was nip and tuck both. You know, I would, I would also like to go ahead, and I'd also like to go ahead and, and be the first one to challenge Ric Flair to that new championship. Well, Terry, I... Uh, I'm honored that you'd like to get in the picture, but 
As the wrestling fans know, you've been in acting. You've been in Hollywood, Sylvester Stallone, while I've been being the world champion. And we got a top 10. We got a top 10 that the world champion is obligated to wrestle. And that's why we are number one. Wait a minute. Are you, are you really saying that uh, I'm not a contender? No, what I'm saying, Terry, is that you are a great wrestler, but right now you're rubbing shoulders with Sylvester Stallone and not the no, world champion. No, 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 no. I was just asking, do you think it, uh, you're I'm not good enough? You're saying that I'm not good enough, no, aren't you, Rick? I'm not saying that at all, Terry. Yes, you are. If you want me to look you in the eye and tell you that I got a problem with wrestling a guy that's been out in Hollywood for five years, it's the bottom line, but I'm looking at the top ten, and you're no. not in the top ten. No, Rick, Rick, Rick. Let me conclude this by saying thank you. I'm honored, everybody. Win, lose, or draw, Rick Flair. Rick, please, please, let me just say one more thing. I was, I was just kidding you about going ahead and... and, and wanting to challenge you. I didn't want to really challenge you. I was just kidding you, so. Ed Gummit, let's go ahead. That'll be yeah. Thanks, Joe. Hey! Look, Funk is attacking. Terry Funk attacking nature boy Ric Flair. This is totally uncalled for. He's taking him outside the rail. Terry Funk is a man enraged. Hammering Flair on the outside, out there in the front row of ringside. Flair in his moment of glory. Winning the championship for the sixth time. I cannot believe what we're witnessing here. I cannot believe what we are witnessing here. As Terry Funk snapped. Jim, and after the champion had already wrestled a match and had already won, he's attacked like this. A sneaking attack by Funk. He just slammed him face first into the, the table that the judges were using. Flair has just wrestled almost 40 minutes. He's fatigued. And look at Funk slap him in the face. This was Flair's moment. Oh, my God. What? Jerk! 
while Flair sat out with a serious neck injury, Funk took personal, he took really a personal crusade to former champion Ricky Steamboat. The two men met in a number one contenders match, and through less than fair tactics, you could say, Funk crawled away with a victory. While he had had Steamboat's attention, the Texan decided to take advantage of it with a beating for old time's sake. After a couple of minutes, Lex Luger made the save, but decided it wasn't worth his time and took off. Funk finished the job and howled for Flair's blood. It was months before we saw Ric Flair again, and when he did make his anticipated return, it was in a limited capacity. Talk about Flair's quote-unquote injured neck was all over the place, and many believed he never be, he would never be able to compete at the same level again. Though he was still champion, Flair was not under any kind of pressure to defend his belt again after such a brutal attack. Apparently, the title defense in 30 days rule was not in effect here. Still, the Nature Boy took it all in stride when he challenged Funk to a world title match at the 1989 Great American Bash. All smiles, Funk accepted and promised us all a surprise at the event. Six times world heavyweight champion Ric Flair is with me now. Only two other men in the history of the sport have accomplished that. That, of course, Luthez and Harley Race. But, Rick, the question on my mind and on thousands of fans' mind is, why are you returning when you know perfectly well another injury to that axis vertebrae and you could be uh, severely injured for life? Gordon, I've heard that question a thousand times, but I've heard it once. I'm returning because <clears throat> I only know one thing in this life. Professionalism. This has been my life. It's the greatest sport in the world. And the only way I'm going to take another step forward in whatever I do in life is to walk out in that ring tonight and find out just what my future is. Terry Funk obviously is going to be centering his attack on your upper body. Well, he'd be a fool if he didn't. I know what I'm getting myself into, but I think Terry Funk at the same time, in all fairness to Ric Flair, knows what he's in for. If I am 100%, if I am 120% like I feel I am, Terry Funk will have the fight of his wrestling career on his hands in a few moments. Terry Funk knows what he did to me. He knows he did not do it on a man-to-man -man basis. He did it when my back was turned. He inflicted an injury on me that almost ended my career. And now he knows that right here in Baltimore, Maryland, in front of the whole world, he has to do it again or he has to suffer the consequences. Rick, let me ask you this. You haven't even had a warm-up match. Uh, I know that you've been working out intensively, but you haven't even had a warm-up match. Do you think your timing could be off? Could, could this be a problem? Well, I've heard that question a thousand times, too. I don't think my timing will be off. I, uh, I didn't think, and I, I was asked to wrestle several times on television, I didn't think that I needed a match with anybody but a main event caliber wrestler. And... Uh, I wanted to find out firsthand, I guess it was my own ego, I wanted to think that I was ready, I didn't think I needed a warm-up match, and we'll find out, maybe, maybe uh, I didn't think this out thoroughly enough, but I feel that I'm ready for Terry Funk, I feel I'm ready to be the world's heavyweight champion, and tonight I'm going to prove it one way or another. I know, of course, I, I won't get an honest answer on this because you're going to tell me you are 100%. In my mind and in my heart, I'm 120%. If I'm not, we'll know in about an hour. That's the bottom line. Champion, good luck to you, my friend. Gordon, thank you. Thank you very much. Ric Flair, NWA World Heavyweight Champion, getting set to defend that title against the former champion Terry Funk. And now, Jim Ross and Bob Cottle. On the pay-per-view that saw the introduction of the Steiner Brothers as a team, the still unbeaten Great Muda had gone 
to a shady decision against Sting for the TV title, the presence of the Japanese star's new manager, Gary Hart, wasn't easily overlooked, but the finish itself was genuine. Later in the evening, Hart made another appearance, this time alongside Terry Funk in the main event. Announcers assured us that this was Funk's big surprise, and that it gave the Texan a huge moral advantage. He and Flair fought up the ramp, back into the ring, and out onto the floor again in a bloody mess that went over a half an hour. Funk's branded his branding iron factored into the match heavily, as both men used it to bludgeon their opponent. An ungodly series closed this one out as Funk set in with his spinning toehold finisher, the dangerous spinning toehold. Flair reversed it into a figure four, which Funk reversed to an inside cradle, which Flair reversed into a cradle of his own for the win. Just watch this match. Another great Flair compilation. Post-match, Gary Hart revealed he hadn't come alone. In one of the coolest spots ever, you could say, the great Muda sprinted into the ring and drilled Flair with his infamous green mist. That mist he spit out that was so cool looking. The two deconstructed the champion until the loud We Want Sting chants were answered. The two faces chased Funk and Muda away as the show went off the air. Yes, we are mentioning Ric Flair now in terms of being a babyface, alongside his rival, Sting. It seems as if, once you take the horseman away from Flair, it made him a babyface. What a brawl we've had! No control at all right now, completely out of control!
Ladies and gentlemen, we're just about. I know you've heard this from me many times, but we are just about out of time. And my pipes have just about had it. Yeah. And they're still beating the heck out of each other over there. They just refuse to quit. They're they determined. Stop. K-Funk, we just started, pal. We just got warmed up. After two and a half months, I'm just breaking a good sweat. So wherever it is, and pal, it'll be again soon. I'm going to tell you something. I'm going to dog you until I wear your Texas ass out. Jim, if that's the beginning, I want to see the end. I'll tell you something. Hey! Incidentally, Steamboat dropped his match on the card to Lex Luger and was soon back in the WWF. So goes the feud of the century. Funk and Muda took on Flair and Sting at Halloween Havoc months later in a Thunderdome cage match to blow off two feuds at once at the very first Halloween Havoc. This time, Gary Hart's presence was more a hindrance than a help. He accidentally threw in the towel for his team while Funk was thrashing about in a figure four. Very heated, Funk laid down the gauntlet for an I Quit match against Flair at the very next Clash of the Champions television event. That's what it's all about. Pinfalls are irrelevant. Up from the outside, inside back out, and now wrenching the leg right across the apron. And Flair now moving like a man with uh, just a crazed inspiration. Chest as they battered red and blue. The confusions are quite obvious. There it is. There it is. He's got the figure four. That puts pressure on five different points. The pain is intense. Never. 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 Yeah, and we're liable to hear a leg snap, too. He's got that thing locked completely in. He's got it deep, deep in there. Gordon, have you ever seen him last no, no, this long no, in the figure four? My line, it my can line, be reversed. It can be reversed. But I... Yes, I quit. He said it. He said it. I can't believe it. Gary Hart is living, but Ric Flair has won it. Gary Hart just can't believe what's happened. He did it. Terry Funk said. Ladies and gentlemen, the winner of the match, Nature Boy, Rick Flair! Terry Funk. I told you. Some people I went to. I'm gonna shake his hand like I said. You're a hell of a man, Ric Flair. Give it to me better, no better than me. Flair and Funk made a run at the final Flair Steamboat encounter in terms of sheer star power and may have even topped it with this I quit batch of goodness. 
the two went on for well over a half an hour before Funk said the magic words to Flair's figure four leg lock. The two stood post-match and stared each other down, while the crowd stood in awe. Just as it seemed they would come to blows once more, Funk extended his hand, Flair took it, and the Funker told the champ he'd earn the respect he was given. On World Championship Wrestling, let me just start off by saying, if Gary Hart can find it within his body, to find the guts to walk out here, Hart, wherever you are, I know you're in the studio, walk out here, peace be to you, my friend, I just want you to be present, I won't lay a hand on you, please, Gary Hart, walk out here, I want you to see this surprise firsthand. All right, Nature Boy Rick Flair, and here is Gary Hart. Mr. Hart has uh, accepted your uh, invitation. Please. He has given his word that he would, no hands will be laid on you, sir. First of all, let's get something straight. Don't be threatening me. And what you want to do to me means nothing. You got your surprise ready? Oh, I got a surprise, my friend. You just opened your eyes wide. You know something? Slick Rick, I got a surprise for you too. Come on out, gentlemen. Well, Buzz Sawyer, Muda, and the Dragon Master out here. I don't think they were invited. Wait a minute. I don't like. Why are you putting us? A surprise ain't nothing. Cause look at this. Come... Hey, hey, hey. Gary Hart had seen enough as he sent his now larger J-Tech stable, including Muda, the Dragon Master, and Buzz Sawyer, out to take out both of both of the superstars. Before the beating got too far out of hand, Sting again made the big save for the champ. It just doesn't get much better than this. 
in the middle of a brief feud with the Great Muda, Flair took the time to invite Gary Hart to the ring. He announced he put together a surprise for the evil manager, but before it could be revealed, Hart had grabbed a mic of his own, told Flair to basically shove it as his stable of goons slowly circled the ring and climbed inside. Just as the assault began, Arn and Ole Anderson came out of nowhere and cleaned house. The three celebrated together in one of the finest moments in professional wrestling history. The men inside the squared circle held high the four fingers. The boys were back in town. The horsemen have never been stronger in the entire conception of this group. Well, as I said, it's the sign of the nineties. Some may come and some may go. But we just picked up six foot three, two hundred and sixty pounds of the most charismatic quality athlete in the world. Look at Sting, and we're looking good. Woo! No way. Look at the people out here. Everybody's got their hand up like that. Well, that means that the four horsemen are back together. What do you think about joining the most elite group in the sport? Well, I think it's quite an honor, obviously, to be doing this kind of thing. And it's quite an honor to have the nature boy, Ric Flair himself, giving me all those nice compliments. Why, I'm not sure. But whatever he says to me is... Ditto, maybe double time. Back to you, bud. I know that we have a clash coming up on February the 6th. I know that in a steel cage, Ric Flair, Arn Anderson, and Sting will take on Mad Dog Bus, Sawyer, the Dragon Master, and Muda. What are your thoughts on that in the steel? Hey, Ross, if you look at all these people, and if they could have told you a year ago, I'd be standing here with Sting in a complimentary manner, their mouth would have fell to the floor, gaping open. But... The combination of the horsemen has always been four qualified athletes thinking singularly, working collectively for the same goal. And if you think Bud Sawyer, Muda, Dragon Master, Harpication is set on you now, when we get you in a cage, life as you know it is over, Pally. That's the sign of the 90s. Let me just say one more thing. We are Kiss Me Like... Wheeling, dealing, limousine riding, jet flying, son of a gun. And we are going to turn 1990 upside down. Ladies and gentlemen, those comments from the four horsemen, indeed, they have never been stronger. For the first time ever, the horsemen were solid baby faces. Their change in tactics reflected the new attitude, and they went into Starcade with their heads held high. Unfortunately, the NWA had dropped the ball by shooting the Funk Flair story a month earlier and had to scramble for a Starcade main event. What they came up with was the Iron Man competition. Flair, US Champ Luger, Sting, and still unbeaten TV Champ Muda would compete. The rules got a bit complicated, so to speak. Everybody would face each other, which meant Flair would fight Luger, Sting, and Muda. Luger would face Flair, Sting, and Muda, you know, and so forth, in a 15-minute time limit encounter. Points were awarded as follows. 20 for a pin or a submission, 15 for a count-out, 10 for a DQ, and 5 for a time limit draw. 
similar, you could say, to the Bound for Glory series. Whichever man held the most points at the end of the night would be the winner, but for one reason or another, wouldn't be the champion. It was a mess, and I'm sure there's others. I'm not the only one that would rather have seen Funk and Flair part two, so to speak, a month later. Luger and Sting stretched it to the limits in the first match of the night. A battle that saw Sting slip out of the torture rack ended when Luger solidified his teased heel turn with a dirty finish. He put his feet up on the ropes. Collect 20 points. Do not pass go. Do not collect $200. Flair completely disgraced Muda in what would serve as the blow-off to their otherwise stupendous month-long feud. He held most of the offense and collected a pinfall within two minutes of the opening bell. Let's Screw Muda Night continued as the Japanese name took on Sting to kick off round two. Both hit their finishers early on and both failed to register victories afterwards. Muda took advantage a minute or two in and sent Sting to the corner with judo chops. When the stinger fell, Muda went for the moonsault, his finisher, but missed. Sting sent him up top, landed a superplex, and took home the clean pin. Luger and Flair pounded on each other for a solid 10 minutes before, with the clock ticking. Luger got frantic and collected several near falls, but no decisive victory. Flair went up top, which meant Luger was contractually uh, obligated and obliged to slam him back down again, of course. Out of nowhere, Flair strapped on the figure four, but Luger managed to wait out the clock. Both collected five points and, you could say, an E for effort, right? Luger and Muda kicked off the final round with Lex selling the knee. Flair worked over not one hour prior. Muda actually cleaned up here, giving Luger a run for his money before the total package blew through his offense and looked for the torture rack. Muda pulled out that sweet green mist of his, but saw, but the ref saw it, though, and disqualified him for his troubles. Heading into, into the last match, the scores read as follows. Luger, 35, Flair, 25, Sting, 20, and Muda, 0. The crowd split in their allegiances between Flair and Sting, before Flair makes the choice an easy one by falling into his heel-esque personality. Flair cannot help it. He loves being a heel. Flair takes his time in approaching the younger star. The two finally locked horns a couple of minutes in. The two trade blows, with Flair chopping his opponent down and Sting hitting strong clotheslines. Outside they go, and Rick suplexes the Stinger back in. Flair takes control and starts hitting his usual spots about ten minutes in. Sting hulks up, for lack of a better term, and locks in the Scorpion Deathlock. Flair breaks it in the ropes and comes right back with the figure four. Sting breaks that, and Flair looks for the win with a series of unsuccessful schoolboys and backslides. Flair continues to work on the leg as time runs down to less than a minute. Cocky as ever, Rick begins the process of hooking on the figure four. When Sting rolls him up for the sudden one, two, three, the Stinger wins. Immediately, the Andersons dove into the ring and stared down the Stinger, with eyes afire. As the crowd erupted with anticipation, the horseman helped the winner to his feet, rose his arm, and held up four fingers. As a stellar year drew to a close, the horsemen were complete 
at last. Sting, Arn Anderson, Ole Anderson, and Ric Flair celebrated the hard-fought victory together as the credits rolled on by. The new four horsemen were officially born. Through a year of controversial moves, fill-in replacements, not official members, turns, backstabbings, hardcore table spots, rough, tough Texans, managers coming and going, the four horsemen at the end of 1989 were complete at last and head into 1990 supposedly as strong as ever. Promotional consideration paid for by the following. Every Thursday, the SNS Radio Network gets in the ring and starts running the ropes. When I, I okay, I, I caught SmackDown again. I caught she, I skipped Sheffield's gimmick, and I couldn't help but to think that his new gimmick sounds like an Arby's uh, roast beef sandwich. Join Brian Maverick Bertrand and Chris Kelly from HeadlocksHeadlines.com as they talk about every random thing going on within the WWE, TNA, Ring of Honor, and the NorCal Independency. Running the Ropes also features interviews with stars from the past. It's me, it's me, it's the D-O-double-G, the road dog, Jesse James. Present. What's going on, this is Kazarian. And this is the Fallen Angel, Christopher Daniels. And future. Hey guys, it's Rima Fakis. And so much more. So join the guys every week on Running the Ropes, right here on the SNS Radio Network. Hey guys, this is Ashley. And this is Sandro. And we're here to make sure that you check out the whole indie show each week on the SNS Radio Network. As both of us, along with our other co-host Randy, cover everything that you need to know on all things indie wrestling. It's your place for all the most recent indie news and event results, reviews of the latest shows from all the major promotions, and previews for all the upcoming events. We also want your feedback on any indie stuff you may have seen as well. Plus, you know, you never know. You might even get a few paperclip references now and then. So for all that and much more, listen to The Whole Indie Show every week here on the SNS Radio Network. Are you looking for the latest news in both professional wrestling and mixed martial arts? Well, check out www.wrestling-online.com. Sign up for one of the longest-running newsletters in professional wrestling over 16 years, and just like Wrestling News Live, it's absolutely free. Join over 27,000 other subscribers, wrestling-online.com. You will learn to pronounce my name properly. Wrestling-online.com. Hey, wrestling fans, do you want to break from the day to day ins and outs of the WWE, TNA, and Ring of Honor? 
Do you like talk radio that pulls no punches? And do you like your sci-fi and fantasy? Well, tune in to the Elite Force Podcast each and every midweek with Chuck W. And each weekend with William Walkie Walker and Mindwipe. Exclusively on the SNS Radio Network and the Chris Jones Gaming Network. Yeah. This is going to be fun. Are you a fan of the SNS Radio Network? Want to keep up with what's going on with all the personalities and radio shows on the SNS Network? Well, let me tell you how. You can check out the Facebook group over at www.facebook.com slash groups slash SNS Radio Network. On Twitter, follow us at SNS Radio Network. You can follow me, Mr. Money on the Mic, Jeff Jackson, at SNS underscore JJSexA1. These are just a few ways to keep up with all the happenings going on on the SNS Radio Network. One man had a vision that would change our world. Welcome to WrestleMania! A world where legends are born. You can live those moments. Slam a giant. Climb the ladder. Go one-on-one with the great ones. Retire a legend. Steal the show. Dethrone an icon. And keep the dead man's streak alive. Create a once-in-a-lifetime moment. of WrestleMania. One epic game. Become immortal. Well, fans, that wraps up Another edition of your retro wrestling podcast, Beyond the Bell. 1989 is in the books for the Four Horsemen and their legacy in professional wrestling. Finally, like I said at the end of our story, the Horsemen were complete once again. Ric Flair, Ole Anderson, Arn Anderson, and now Sting were branded as the brand new four horsemen leading their way into the 90s leading the way into the 90s remember you can catch all archive shows at ringannouncing.com my official website as well as snsradionetwork.com tablet and smartphone users you can download the Stitcher and TuneIn radio apps to get Beyond the Bell every single week in all archive shows, and we are also found on iTunes. Give us a rating, make a comment on Beyond the Bell if you love us or hate us, preferably if you love us, whether you like it or you don't like it. I'll stop there. Learn to love it. Now I'll stop. Give us a rating. 
boost up the Beyond the Bell profile on iTunes. For any questions or comments, you can reach me on Twitter at Sean Beckerman through our Facebook fan page, Beyond the Bell, and Sean Beckerman as well. Ring announcer Sean Beckerman fan page is up too. Tout at Sean Beckerman. And via email, beckerman at ringannouncing.com. You can also go to the Beyond the Bell page on snsradionetwork.com. Time to take it home with the old school song of the week. Like I mentioned in the middle of our broadcast here tonight, the boys were back in town. Arn and Oli returned to join the horsemen, or should I say rejoin the horsemen, to complete the legendary group. As a result, I thought it was fitting to play a popular song during that era. The boys are back in town by Thin Lizzy. So let's take it home, dedicated to the 1989 Four Horsemen as they ride high and move full steam ahead into the 90s. This is your personal ring announcer, Sean Beckerman, signing off. Until next week, fans, when we rewind and relive all things retro and wrestling, this has been Beyond the Bell. Until next week, stay old school, my friends.
spill And if the boys wanna fight, you better let them That you box in the corner, blasting out my favorite song The nights are getting warmer, it won't be long Won't be long till summer comes Now that the boys are here again and the great Muda, that's going to be a dangerous situation with Dick Slater here. Well, Jim, let me give you the background on this. When Turner Broadcasting System said they were going to put together the greatest wrestling organization in the history of this sport, they said, Ric Flair, we want you to be part of it. I signed up, and I was first in line. And on September 12th, Hello. worldwide, across this nation, I'm getting... A dream come true. That's an opportunity to wrestle with one of the greatest athletes in professional sports as my partner. And I'm talking about the stinger, that's what you call him. Woo! Against the great Muda, Terry Funk, and Gary Hart. We asked for this match. We asked Jim Hurd. We asked the National Wrestling Alliance to make this possible, and in Columbia, South Carolina, woo, on the 12th of September, we got it. And you know what, Muda, I don't know what you look like, pal, but in Columbia, I'm gonna wash that paint off your face with your own sweat. Terry Funk, nobody likes blood and guts on national TV, but pal, you're gonna bleed and you're gonna sweat. You know why? Because this is the NWA, woo, and I say so, woo. All right, Nature Boy, Ric Flair. Let me just say, Flying Brian's up next, and he's my kind of man. 